Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Two months ago, my husband was ordained and installed as a Presbyterian pastor. Now, this is needless to say that all of my efforts to try to convert him to become a Lutheran were futile, but this was a really wonderful time to celebrate. Uh, this process had been eight years long. It, it kind of seemed impossible that he finally got to the end of this journey um, and that God actually was calling him to be a pastor. But by the end of this journey, we recognized that this was God's calling for him, and the church recognized that. So we had a, a wonderful service to celebrate that day. And one of the greatest gifts to us was that our friend and mentor came and offered the sermon that day. And Rick is one of those pastors that I think it reminds me of Eugene Peterson or one of the, one of the pastoral greats. So when, when you hear him, you, just, you know you're in the presence of a great and you want to just soak it all in. He's been in the, the ministry for years, and so what he shared as his encouragements, both to Alec and to the congregation, were anything but hollow. And he shared this story that I thought you would find um, really, really special. When Rick first became a pastor, he was young and ambitious and thought that he would change the world in his new pastoral call. He got together with this couple, and afterward, the couple took him aside and said, you know, Rick, this is not your church. Rick immediately felt nervous. Are these the alligators in the water of the church? Should I start feeling nervous? Will I be able to be successful here? These people seem to think that they own the church. So he sat there a little bit nervous, and they proceeded. This is not your church. This is our church. We've been here for years. We were founding members of the church, and we will continue to be here even after you're gone. You'll move on to another call, but we will still be here. This is not your church. This is our church. And in truth, this isn't our church either. This is Jesus' church. This is Jesus' church first. Then it's our church. And lastly, it's your church. As Rick shared this story, he told us that this couple was right. He moved on to another church, to another pastoral call, but that couple remained. And generations after them came and were a part of the church together. One day, the couple would die. And they would be right that the church was not their church either. The church, in all times and in all places, is Jesus' church. We need this constant reminder that the church is Jesus because we're prone to forget it. We often mistake the church with her pastors and leaders because let's face it, pastors and leaders guide and shape the church in pretty significant ways. We might say that this church was Gordy's, and then it was Dan's, and now it's Jim's. Or we might say that church is Bob's, that church is John's, and that church is Carol's. And then pastors or leaders might then mistakenly also say things like, 
This is my church. These are my people. This is my youth, or these are my disciples. But the truth is, the church is not any person's. The church is Jesus alone. We need these reminders from time to time, both when the waters are calm and when they're shaky. We need them when the waters are calm because we are prone to glorify our leaders and maybe follow them instead of Jesus. We need these reminders when the waters are unsteady because the temptation is to base our commitment to the church on how we perceive our needs and wants are being met. So in Joshua 24, the waters were calm. Israel had entered the promised land and God had defeated their enemies. The land was theirs and they settled in. Joshua was nearing the end of his life. At the end of this chapter, it says that he died at the age of 110. So it's anybody's guess how old he was here. He knew he was nearing the end. And he knew that there was also no leader to come after him, like him or like Moses, no leader to guide them into the next season. The people would be tempted to fall away or to believe that they no longer needed God or even to misbelieve how they had gotten to this promised land. Joshua knew that he could not control the people, but he made a move that would establish his legacy. So he gathered all the people together at Shechem. Now, Shechem was a significant place. It was the place God had promised to give to Abraham's descendants in Genesis chapter 12. So they were standing on hallowed ground, promised ground. And the people at this point remember that they are standing on the fulfillment of that promise. It was in Shechem also that their forefather Jacob buried his household's idols in Genesis chapter 35. Jacob commanded his household to put away their gods, and then he buried them. In Joshua 24, Joshua 2 calls for the people to throw away their gods and to yield their hearts to God alone. Shechem is a place of promise and fulfillment. It's therefore the perfect place to recognize all that God has done and to declare fealty to God alone. In Joshua 24, we find this powerful verse, one that many of us have have remembered, uh, have memorized. Maybe we have it on a plaque in our home, or we've heard heads of households say, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a powerful verse. And what's interesting is that the verses that come before and after aren't as well known, but they're perhaps the most powerful part of this chapter. In verses 2 to 13, Joshua recounts for Israel what God has done for them. He reminds them that God chose Abraham even though he served other gods. God brought Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. His descendants then became enslaved in Egypt, and God brought them out of slavery and and destroyed their enemies. God brought them through a long time in the wilderness and gave their enemies into their hands. God destroyed their enemies 
and Israel took possession of the land. Theirs was a story of victory in many times and in many places, not because of their own might, but because God had fought for them, because God fulfilled God's promises. And Joshua's recounting ends in verse, 11, verse 13. The Lord says, I gave you land you had not worked on, and I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. Israel had been chosen, blessed, saved, and given victory, not because of their worthiness, or through their own power, or because of any other God, but because the one true God was faithful to his promise. So Joshua asks, whom will you serve? The God who has chosen, saved you, blessed you, and given you victory? Or another God? At this point, whom could they possibly choose other than the God who had given them victory, who had saved them and blessed them, so they boldly declare that they too will serve the Lord because he is their God. What's remarkable about this passage is that Joshua's response is pretty shocking. He doesn't thank them for their oath of fidelity or breathe a sigh of relief knowing that his leadership has been successful. He instead argues with them. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord. The Lord is a holy and jealous God. He doesn't share his people with any other God. But the people are determined. They want to commit. With Joshua leading them, they likely feel confident that if he can follow through on his commitment, so can they. But what about after Joshua dies? What will happen to all who knew him and followed him? It's often unsettling when a leader dies or leaves. The leaving brings it with it a whole host of questions. Will I have a similar relationship with the new leader? Will the influence I had now shift? Will the decisions be undesirable and people leave? What kind of domino effect will take place here? Hopefully it's a positive domino effect. In my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers wrote a devotion on the passing of the hero. He wrote, our soul's history is frequently the history of the passing of the hero. Over and over again, God has to remove our friends in order to bring himself in their place. And that is where we faint and fail and get discouraged. Take it personally. In the year that the one who stood to me for all that God was, when they died or left, how did I respond? I gave up everything, I became ill, I became disheartened, or I saw the Lord. It must be God first, God second, God third. Until the life is faced steadily with God and no one else is of any account whatsoever. In all the world, there is none but thee, my God. There is none but thee. This is a serious challenge. 
mentors, pastors, and leaders are hugely important in our lives of faith. I can't imagine where I would be without certain mentors in my life. But our role models are not God. As Joshua gathered the people together, there were a number of things that he didn't do. He didn't recount the wonderful deeds he had done for them as their leader. He didn't challenge them to be like him. He didn't plead with them to make his legacy honest. He didn't do any of those things. Instead, he maintained the focus where it needed to be. He recounted how God had chosen them, saved them, blessed them, given them victory. They were gathered together at Shechem because of God's unmerited goodness and faithfulness to them. So one question remained. Whom would they serve? Fifty-nine years ago, a little church named St. Timothy's was birthed. What was once a small group gathering at a riding club became a larger congregation which planted itself on Camden Avenue. The congregation continued to grow and so did the name and the ministry of St. Timothy's. And throughout the 59 years, various pastors and leaders have shepherded this congregation, most notably, of course, Gordon and Dan Salbo, for a combined 45 years. Their love and commitment to this church has truly been a gift. Many of you were attracted to St. Timothy's because of them, and I'll tell you, so was I. I'm here in part because of Dan. With how long they served and, their, and the significance of their leadership, what it continues to mean for us, it's tempting to believe that Gordy and Dan were the ones who sustained this church and that without them, this church will fall apart. But a church built on a person is not a church. The church is the body of Christ, forgiven and given purpose through the death and resurrection of Jesus, gathered together and sustained by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who gathered that small group together and sustained it and caused it to grow. It was the Holy Spirit who sustained you through shifts in pastoral leadership. It was the Holy Spirit who opened your heart to faith and who sustained you through crises of faith. It was the Holy Spirit who provided for you when the economy took nosedives during the dot-com crisis and the Great Recession. It was the Holy Spirit who carried you through denominational shifts. It was the Holy Spirit who blessed you with new life and brought new families to this congregation. It was the Holy Spirit who will bring us through this season and bring about God's purposes that you and I don't yet see. To God alone be the glory. I invite you to stand. As I sing this African song, I encourage you to sing along with me when you're ready. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. 
cares for me. He cares for me. He cares for me. He's so good to me. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. He's so good to me. I praise his name. I praise his name. I praise his name. He's so good to me. Holy God, you are so good to us. And we don't deserve it. But you have chosen and blessed us. God, we pray that, like Israel, we would see your hand that has been at work our whole lives. We pray that we would give you honor and glory with everything. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which has sustained St. Timothy's through the years, which has given it life and brought it through many years and many shifts. We pray that you would bring us through this next season, too, and that you would receive all of the glory. To you alone belong the honor and glory and praise. We offer you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>